Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we kick things off. We're going to talk a lot of baseball in this hour with the outstanding beat writer from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch with the Baseball Writers' Dinner coming up. And headlining that, undoubtedly, will be one Derek Gould. Derek, uh, good morning, uh, and uh, thanks for being part of the show. How are you, buddy? Yes, I, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for uh, thanks for the introduction. I think I'm way down on the list of uh, yeah, of, part, of everything. I don't even know like if I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there, but, uh, but no, the, the – Dinner will hinge around uh, Tosa and uh, and Adam Wainwright um, celebrating their careers. That'll be a lot of fun. I want to get into that uh, momentarily, but let's uh, dive into what the Cardinals have done this off season with their additions: Kyle Gibson, mm-hmm. Lance Lynn. Those are the most notable. Just uh, the off season in general. What have you thought of the Cardinals and what they've done? Well, you know, it's 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 one thing to like criticize them through the years for not having enough known innings. And then I can't then pivot and criticize them for going out and getting known innings. They certainly did that with Sonny Gray, Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn. They have now in their rotation, when you include miles, Michaelis as the incumbent four of fewer than 25 pitchers who threw more than 180 innings last year. That's there were only 23 of them. And now four of them are in the same rotation. Um, they have addressed the biggest need. If there was one thing that caused the Cardinals to plummet last season, it was the fact that they were built on quicksand when it came to innings, and they just never escaped the drag of lacking them. Well, now they have something to hold on to. You know, they've thrown, they've been thrown a rope of innings um, or created a foundation of innings, whatever imagery you want to go with. Uh, and that's a really good way to start contending for a division title. They got the offense. I think people will debate whether or not they got the offense. I think the numbers suggest that they have the offense of a contender, a lineup of a contender, and they should have some improvements. Obviously, Jordan Walker in his second year, more Lars Newtbar, less of him on the IL, more of him producing either from the leadoff spot or in that number two spot, a full year of Brendan Donovan being healthy and being on base. All those things will help them um, offensively. And so they now have a rotation upon which to build a contender for a division title. The debate we can have is whether or not that's enough to contend for a National League pennant, because the National League Central is comfy and cozy and cute. The National League is a beast. Yeah, what did you think of Otani and, and the way that the, the contract is structured and $2 million a year and all that money deferred? And you're the Cardinals, and you're sitting here going, wow, or other major league teams going, wow, that's creative. That's a lot of money. But your initial reaction when you heard about Otani? Not surprised that he went to the Dodgers um, at all. It kind of seemed like from early on in his career that the the pull was going to be towards the Dodgers, especially as we saw some of the 
limits be torn down, not insignificantly the DH coming to the National League. Um, you know, the Dodgers have been ever present. Um, talking with, you know, a couple of riders out there in Los Angeles was in Los Angeles. I was reminded of the fact that like their interest in him goes back to his high school days. Um, and you know, they've been persistent. They've planned ahead. They uh, they didn't make moves. They didn't make big splashes, knowing that uh, it'd be a big play for him this winter. So I, there wasn't a whole lot of surprise. The number and the structure, of course, was like you hear the 700 million. It's hard not to be surprised by that. And then you kind of wait for the other element to to drop Dan, and it's like, oh well, when is 700 million not 700 million? It's when it's future money, and it's counting on inflation to get it there. And so it's real present day values right around 460, which is still a lot of money. Um, but you start to understand, OK, well, that's how a team can afford it. And in some ways, they're kicking down the expenses. It doesn't change the fact that they still have to commit that money. They're still going to get hit with 46 per year. They still have to guarantee that that money is there. Um, but it frees up so much for them to do um, in the immediate future. And here's this is a question. That, if you don't mind, I'll throw it back at you. Sure. I'm very intrigued by this too. Is like certainly this like helps the Dodgers, but let's not ignore the fact that he's not pitching in 2025. And the thing the Dodgers need most is pitching. So his two million dollar salary and what that alleviates that sure seems essential for them to build a contending team because otherwise what do they have pitching wise? It's like Walker Bueller and friends. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I I think it gives them so much flexibility and it seems like they've got endless amounts of money and supply that if they want to go out and address that, that'll be no. Yeah. And prospects. They'll have no problem whatsoever doing it. What I thought was really interesting is that essentially you were paying for two players, a premier hitter, premier pitcher, but one coming off his second Tommy John surgery. And over the course of 10 years, I think that's going to be kind of the fascinating part of this. Is he going to hit? Yes. Is he going to produce offensively? Yes, he will. I have no doubts about that. But a second Tommy John surgery, what does that look like in year, let's say, three, four, or five in the middle of that contract? And if it blows out, you're paying a guy in upwards of $70 million to hit. And that's what's really interesting, I think, about this and the chance that they took. Yeah, you know, and then Walker and Bueller also coming back exactly. for the second time to John. So they got two members of their planned 2025 rotation um, in that same spot. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it is fascinating. Um, you know, is, are we going to get to a point once we get through this kind of like RSN fog and, you know, the streaming riches start pouring in and, you know, baseball is able to tap into that like an oil well uh five ten seven years down the road are we going to get to a point where the best hitter in the game is making 60 million dollars and then at that time is otani still going to be one of the best hitters it might work out that way um but you're right about like you're paying for two players and that that's why it doesn't really reset the market you know exactly you know if 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 uh, if Mookie Betts starts pitching, he's already playing shortstop, second base. But if he starts pitching like Clayton Kershaw, then it resets the market. If Juan Soto goes out and is the fourth starter for the Yankees, giving you know bumping them over, and then becomes a free agent, then it resets the market. But none of that's happening. 
Derek, um, Otani is just unique. Absolutely, he is. Derek Gould is our guest from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I want to go back to the Cardinals. You mentioned some of the outfielders. One of the mm-hmm. guys you didn't mention is Tommy Edmond. If opening day was tomorrow, and it's not, I've got Tommy Edmond penciled in at center field. Would you agree with that? Well, that's how they are advertising it. They are seeing him as their everyday center fielder, and they so the Cardinals certainly and rightfully think that he could go out there and win a gold glove. I think what he did in center field is impressive. And to be honest, like every time they seem to put him in a spot that is like just asking a lot from him, whether it's everyday center field, which he'd never played, or everyday shortstop, which it was like, can can he handle the rigors of it? Um, he does. He does. And he does exceptionally well at it defensively. He's just one of the best all-around defensive players, no matter where you put him in the game. And now they'll have him run out in center field. But, you know, a lot of that will hinge on how Mason Wynn does at shortstop. And I know that it may be kind of counterintuitive, but, you know, if Mason Wynn goes out and he's got to win the shortstop job, it's there for him to take it, but it can't just be defense that gets him there because then you're talking about two spots where it's kind of glove first. Uh, and in some ways, spring is going to set up really interesting as an offensive competition between three guys, Tommy Edmond, Dylan Carlson, and Mason Wynn. And if Dylan Carlson can hit his way into spring training and through spring training, he's going to have to make them make a difficult decision. And while they'll want Mason Wynn to be their starter at shortstop and commit to him there, if he struggles offensively, and they make the call that he's got to start the year in AAA to find the bat to make that advancement um, because, you know, there's a difference between AAA and the majors. The Cardinals learn this every year. Every team does. But, you know, that those April games count in the standings. And you your patience or allowance for a guy learning on the job is only so much, um, especially if the team isn't, you know, in a position to carry the offense elsewhere. So I think there's a lot of factors that go into Tommy Edmond, who is the best defensive option in center field. But that's not happening. That decision isn't happening in a vacuum. And in a, in a really interesting way, it's connected to shortstop because Tommy Edmond is your backup there if Mason isn't the starter. I always feel that when Mo goes into his spring training, he targets one or two guys that he wants to extend. And I, I've been saying this for months. The one guy that I would look at is Paul Goldschmidt. You wrote about that the other day and alluded to that in your chat. You think I'm I'm on to something there that, that Goldie yeah. would finish his career as a St. Louis Cardinal? Yeah, Mo brought it up. I, you know, Mo I volunteered that, saying that was something on his mind this winter, um, which is unusual, and he usually brings up something publicly, you know, if that's something he feels confident in. Um, you know, Goldschmidt is one who keeps his thoughts about his contract mostly to himself, but he's pretty open about how he's enjoyed being with the Cardinals. He enjoys playing with Nolan Arenado. Um, you know, obviously both of them want to see uh, a U-turn in the standings and the success, and they, they want to win championships. They both came to St. Louis, one via trade, one via trade and then extension to win championships, to go out there and win pennants. And they have seen, they've only, well, they just are off one of the worst seasons in club history. So they want to see an improvement there. Um, You know, I think that's, you know, he's the most obvious. There are some other ones. Um, You know, one that might be below the radar a little bit is Ryan Helsley. Like, do you talk to him about an extension? Carlos haven't really done one like that. Um, How about Tommy Edmond? 
Well, that's what I was just going to say, Tommy Edmond. Yeah. Um, you got to know where his future is, and he would need to know it too. Um, is an interesting case in the fact that um, arbitration could really like him because of his wins above replacement and all he does defensively. And so arbitration could be a real boost for him. Um, if he's not a surefire everyday starter for the length of that extension, is that something the Cardinals want to do? I think this spring is going to add an, another wrinkle to any of those discussions. And I think we're already seeing decisions made on it, Dan, is the unknown of the rights, of the broadcast rights. Um, it, it is not it – is, it is a real presence in the Cardinals' decision-making. You can see that with the one-year deals and the direction they went with Gibson and Lynn. Both of them have options for the following year. So the Cardinals have some flexibility. Well, newsflash, that's not because they expect them to be replaced by younger players. That That's not where the Cardinals' development is at the moment. They would love for it to be that way, but that's not where it is right now. That's because they really don't know where what their TV situation is going to be in 2025. And so they want some flexibility there. Um, so I think that might influence and shape some of the, the, uh, the extension talks that otherwise you would see a little probably, – Probably this would be a really interesting spring for multiple extension talks. I don't know if we'll see that um, unless they have more clarity on the TV situation. Derek, I, I teased going into the break the fact that Ali is on the hot seat, I guess, is the best way to put it because he does not have a year on his contract beyond this season. You're coming off a horrific year a season ago. Where do you stand or where do the Cardinals stand right now with Ali and, and seeing what that contract may look like as far as an extension? Yeah, I spoke to both Oliver Marmol and John Mozeliak about that topic at the winter meetings because I thought it was a story that needed to be you know, explored. Um, I wasn't quite sure what their response was going to be. I had a feel for what Marmol's response was going to be. Did not know if I was going to get the stiff arm from Mozeliak or at least uh, have him kick the subject down the road a little bit. He did not. Um, they both addressed it pretty head on. Uh, Marmol has said what he'll say in a lot of situations and you kind of understand it, right? Like, you know, winning takes care of everything. Um, he is vehemently not worried about it because, you know, if things go right, it'll work itself out. Um, if they have the team that they're expected to have and he's the manager that he's expected to be, then the contract will work out. Um, Moselak said, you know, he's a little bit, you know, he expects to have that conversation at some point. Um, he made the point to me that everybody is, um, under scrutiny, um, after a season like that, that they have to turn things around. And before they, they start thinking about extensions or start thinking about signing people, they got to see some elements of turning it around. Um, you know, that, that it just happens that it's the manager who has the shortest contract here along with a bench coach who has a multi-year contract. So there's a lot going into it. Um, and a lot of the focus will be on the manager, but I asked about whether or not that might shape a manager's ability to command a clubhouse. Right. Um, and, and I did, I mentioned the optics of having Molina, for example, come sure. back yeah. and be a part of the team. And Moselak said, if he sees that as an issue, he will address it. And that would mean talking, possibly talking an extension. He said he wanted to be aware of it, um, aware of, of what direction the team was headed in, but also around about the tone. And if there's any sort of influence, he doesn't think there will be, 
But if there's a, a, a hint of it, a hint of the contract being an issue, then they'll address it, quote unquote. We'll address it. What will Yachty's role be? Great question. Um, his title will be special assistant to the president of baseball operations. Um, you know, they, they, that's the title that was available. Uh, and they talked to him about a coaching role, not the bench coach spot. That's key to say here, but more of a universal coach, um, even a coach title that say would be akin to what, uh, Willie McGee has right now, um, on the staff. So one who could be involved in a lot of different things, but not have one special spot. And, uh, you know, the, the, it was the everyday nature and the time commitment to be gone for the entirety of the year that was not appealing to Yair for family reasons, for he owns a basketball team, all those reasons. So his role is going to be occasional, but active. And there'll be times where he's in uniform and in the dugout hey, at a major league game. Derek, let's Number face it. We'll be in the dugout. You got seventy-eight million wrapped up in what year one of a five-year deal with Contreras. You've got to yeah. find. You got to get the best out of him. So if you're going to try to get the best out of him, might as well go to the guy that's been perceived, and in my opinion, is the best defensively that has played in the last two decades. So it makes a lot of sense to me to bring him in the fold and say work with this guy and get him to a level that is better than what we saw a year ago behind the plate. Yeah. It takes both of them wanting to do that. So we'll see how that goes. Good point. Um, That's a good point. You know, it takes both of them. And, and also just to be blunt, it also takes the Cardinals having a little grace. You know, one of the things that we asked a lot about last year was like, you, you know, you sign Wilson Contreras to be Wilson Contreras, not to be Yadier Molina. At some point in time, the Cardinals have to shift and go, how do you get the best from Wilson Contreras or how do you adjust to be like, all right, well, we're going to work around Wilson Contreras. And I think some of that's starting to happen. You know, you know, some of the conversation early on was like, okay, well, this is how we game plan with the Cardinals. And it's like, cool. Well, you signed Wilson Contreras. So maybe change how you game plan yeah. or adjust yeah. to fit. I think that's like, like they, they didn't put 70, you know, $78 million into wondering, you know, like, well, can you be Yachty? You know, they put $78 million into, like, you're a good player. We want you to be that good player. Now let's amplify that good player. And it seemed unfair to go, like, well, why aren't you doing this like we've always done it? I've been really curious about Albert Pujols and coming back to the organization, but he's got the 10-year personal services deal. Yeah. You know, can the Cardinals buy that out? Can he get back in uniform with the Cardinals? Is he allowed to do that? I get asked about it all the time. I think he's got the itch from people I talk to to maybe get into coaching, and if that's mm -hmm. going to happen, it would be with the Cardinals. But, you know, I, I don't know how that all works out, and if it if it can happen because of the, the 10 years personal services contract that he has with the Angels. Do you have any insight on that? I talked to him um, during the World Series, and he brought up the fact that, you know, like in the, there's interest in managing. Um, right now he's kind of absorbing – a whole lot of different phases of the game, um, working on the broadcast side, working on the commissioner's side, working on communications with players. Um, you know, he has some interest through what he's doing with the Angels on the minor league side and um, working with them at their Dominican Academy it really appeals to him. Um, you know, he mentioned to me that, like, it gives him an opportunity to, even if he wants to, talk with a front office and get that perspective of the game. 
um, all the things he told me, like, you know, when he was playing, consumed by hitting, 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 and improving and playing and all that stuff, that, like, that was, like, you know, he was obviously, as you know, laser-focused on the performance aspect of the game, the personal performance aspect of the game and how that fit within a team. So this is now an opportunity for him to look at all the other places in the ecosystem of baseball um, and broadcast is where he's having the most time spent now, but it's not the only thing he's doing um, that all that said is, you know, he's got nine years remaining. It's a million dollars a year. It's the $10 million that was added on. It's the last of its type um, the it, personal services contracts like that are no longer allowed. And his was the last one. Um, so there's 9 million owed on it. If there's a way out of it, it's to take a permanent job that matches that and then frees up the angels of their commitment, or it's the angels and that team and Albert coming to an agreement on how that is handled, or it's Albert walking away from it. Um, you know, it's, it is structured like an option in a way, right? Sure. Um, whereas if he didn't want to do that, you don't have to, and then you don't get paid. Um, I don't know why you'd walk away from $9 million, and there's a lot of other reasons why he wouldn't than just the money um, due in part to like when he signed that contract. But you could, he'd have to work out something there. Um, baseball etiquette is such that if he were to be offered a full-time role with the team, that the Angels would either match that and then pay out his salary or understand that he'd be going for a quote-unquote promotion and then work out the finances from there. But, yeah, I mean, it's such a and such an unusual situation because, A, he's such a great player, B, he's such a high-profile player, and C, it's so much money still tied on to that thing that I don't, you know, I don't quite know how it will work. But, you know, or I, I don't quite know. There's ways out, but I don't know what way they choose. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. It really is. I want to get into the baseball writers' dinner. You'll be celebrating the uh, 2004 National League champions. I don't know if you agree with this, but in my mind, in the last 30 years of Cardinal baseball, I, I think this is the best team. This is probably the most entertaining team. They went out there, and there was the same pitcher every fifth day. They didn't have many yeah. injuries. They had Hall of Famers on this team, and at that time, you didn't know it. You knew they were really good, but they became Hall of Famers. This is a hell of a team. I, I'm excited that you guys are celebrating the 04 NL champions. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, like they, they look at the Dodgers, the, the current Dodgers with the adding of Otani, right? If Kershaw comes back, how many Hall of Famers do you have on that, or potential Hall of Famers do you have on that team? That's right. Freeman, Mookie, uh, Kershaw, and Otani, right? Yeah. Uh, am, I, am I missing anybody? No, I'm going around uh, the diamond. I think you got it. Right. So, and then and I was talking to somebody over there on the podcast, the best podcast of baseball. And they say, how rare is that for a team to have four Hall of Famers? And I was like, well, in the back of my head, I was like, well, old four had Larry Walker, Albert Pujols, Scott Rowland, and Yadier Molina. And that's the start. Yeah. Then um, you start, start thinking about Cardinal Hall of Famers and Jimmy Edmonds yeah. and Isringhausen. Uh, yep. I think Edgar Renteria eventually will go in. And you should. Yeah, don't, that's up to the fans right now, yeah. And don't forget you had Tony LaRusso at the helm. There's another Hall of Famer. Right. So, yeah, that, that team was awfully good, man. They were fun to and watch. Dave Duncan was the pitching coach who some think should be in the Hall of Fame. So, And another Cardinal I mean, Hall of Famer would be Matt Morse. Right, yeah, deserving of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think uh, – I don't. I, it's interesting, Dan. Like, I, 
I, I want to lump the 04 and 05 teams together just so you don't have to choose between the two. Yeah, I agree. Like that, those, That's those a good point. Dynamo teams. When you uh, decide to put on the baseball writers dinner, and this is still one of the chapters that that does it. Uh, tell us about it. So, if somebody's going to the event, what it's like, what it, uh, who it benefits, and and why you guys continue to put this on. Yeah, well, one of the reasons why we can just to start with your last one. One of the reasons why we continue to put it on is because it's our way of respecting and and maintaining things that started long before us. Um, you know, Bob Bragg and Rick Hummel. These are two people, two baseball writers who obviously have contributed a lot to the history of baseball and history of baseball writing in this town. Um, and both are honored there in Cooperstown with the career excellence award from the BBWM. And so it should mean a lot to us um, as a way to maintain and respect and celebrate their legacies, to be honest. Um, so that's part of why what drives us to continue to put it on. Um, the other part is just as big as St. Louis's love and commitment and devotion and you know relationship with baseball makes it possible so these two things are kind of the double helix of the dinner right they they keep it going you know as we try to honor the legacies of the folks who put so much time into the dinner but also reflect how much baseball means and how popular baseball is in this town and how you know fans and people who come to the dinner want to also nurture and maintain kind of that flame of history so it's these things come together um, you know, we spend pretty much 10 months or so of the year planning uh, the dinner, trying to put together sponsors and think about like different events. We've had lead up events in previous years, especially as we try to get the dinner back off the ground after the pandemic, um, which was a challenge for so many dinners, as, as you know, as I'm sure everybody knows. Um, so we've had events that kind of feed into the dinner and all the planning there. Um, you know, one of the things that we've done is we've gone to the MAC, which has been a great uh, host for us and a great partner for us. And it's such a great venue downtown for the dinner. Um, it's also opened up the chance for us to have a VIP uh, event beforehand. Last year, um, for a VIP ticket, you were able to sit in on a small room um, and uh, and have Rick Hummel and and talk and answer questions. We have a similar VIP plan this year that more details will be about available here in the coming weeks. Um, but it's going to be the same kind of thing. Small room, small venue, um, exclusive conversation, maybe a chance to ask questions, all those things. Um, and then, of course, the dinner. Um, you know, the dinner gets to be this merging of baseball history and also baseball present. Um, we've done our best to try to bring in uh, minor leaguers and introduce them for the first time, but also bring it back, um, you know, popular players and key contributors from past teams. And so you might have the 04 team, um, you know, here, but yeah, there'll be members of the 04 team at the dinner and there'll also be members of the 2028 team at the dinner um, as we honor some of the minor leaguers who, have won awards like uh, like a Victor Scott the second, who's going to get his gold glove that night for that he won in the minors. So you can see this blend at the dinner. Now, what does it do? What what is the purpose of this dinner? Well, it's 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 to raise money um, for uh, scholarships, awards, and internships that uh, the St. Louis Baseball Writers Chapter, which is a not for profit, um, organizes, runs, and delivers, and 
you know, one, there were two, um, I could go on at length about this dam, but yeah. I have personal connections to two of them. Great. When I was a student at Mizzou, I won one of the scholarships from the baseball riders. Um, you know, here was this kid from Colorado trying to make a way, trying to find out if it was ever possible to cover baseball. And at a time when that wasn't real clear to me, how I got to, how I got to, how I would get from Mizzou to covering baseball here, I got this, uh, this honor, this scholarship from, uh, from the baseball riders to kind of help me pursue it, um, in my senior year at Mizzou. Um, and then of course we have the Rick Hummel internship, which is something that is very close to me as we started it, um, back in 08, um, as a way to honor and, and celebrate his, um, selection for the career excellence award with where he joined other St. Louis riders there in Cooperstown. Um, we wanted to do something different than just a scholarship. We wanted to see if we could start fostering and identifying, I guess in the other way around, identifying and fostering sort of the next generation of baseball riders. And Rick wanted that to be something that was housed at Mizzou and available to Mizzou students like he was. And it's something that we have continued. And one of the humble interns that we have um, through the years is like now my boss, right? Ben Fredrickson is my boss. Oh, right? Of course so he is. He's he goes, everybody's. Yeah. And he goes from intern to, uh, to, to super columnist, you know, and, I love it. Uh, I love it. That's just such a success. And so we're very excited because in 2024, we'll have that humble internship back. Um, you know, and it's, it's a great way to honor, uh, my late colleague who meant so much to us and meant so much to baseball writing. Derek, very quickly, the date and the best way to get tickets. January 14th, and you can Google St. Louis Baseball Writers Dinner, and it should take you to the tickets, um, you know, or on Facebook, the STLBBWAA, um, or on uh, the uh, the machine formerly known as Twitter. You can also find it at St. Louis BBWAA um, there. Um, search or type that in, and uh, there'll be links to tickets and updates on some of the people who will be honored and all of it. All awesome. of it's available. Awesome. Hey, Derek, can't thank you enough for your time. You've been gracious with it. Good luck with the dinner, and I'm sure we'll catch up very soon. Looking forward to it, Dan. Thank you so much for having me on and for allowing me to uh, talk at length about the dinner. Hope you have a happy holidays, and happy holidays to all your listeners.